Hey everybody, on this week of Guys Talking Sports, we're going to talk about the NCAA Men's Championship game. Um, Deshaun Watson, and, the, and not the new, but the televised um, comments about his sexual misconduct. How do we feel about that? The Sam Darnold trade to Carolina, and the Major League Baseball playing the All-Star game from Atlanta. That and a whole lot more this week's Guys Talking Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Guys Talking Sports. We are down and out for another Wednesday night of talking about sports, talk shit, and singing some jokes. As always, here with the fellas, the crew, Al and Ace. What's good, boys? <laughs> Allergies. Hate it. <coughs> Excuse me. Evening, folks. <laughs> First of all, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, welcome. Um, right now, everything is good. Um, it's starting to get warm outside, so I'm, you know, starting to to open back up of going out a little bit more, um, which is a good thing um, because w- when it starts raining, I'm staying home no matter what. So it is what it is. I'm ready. Ah, uh, yes. And as Bismarcky said in his um, rap years ago. It's spring again, so we are back in it. So welcome to the most dangerous sports podcast on the radio. So we're going to get right down to it. I like that. <laughs> uh, the NCAA um, March Madness wrapped up. The NCAA Men's Championship game wrapped up. And Baylor, not just beat Gonzaga, they put foot. They put foot to ass to Gonzaga <laughs> to the tune of 86 to 70. Um, and it might not even really have been that close. I mean, it might have been some some empty calorie points at the end, but um Baylor wins their first men's championship and uh in a very dominating fashion. Um I didn't really see that coming. I think everybody probably had Gonzaga kind of penciled in, but um Baylor ruins Gonzaga's perfect season. But um, fellas. What did you think about the game, and were you surprised at all by the outcome of the game? <laughs> Ace already got his answer going. <laughs> I already told y'all. I, I, I watched Baylor play. You know what I mean? I, I had the benefit of being from a university who plays in the Big 12 Conference. I knew how physical Baylor was. I knew how talented they were from a shooting perspective. I just knew flat out that if Baylor came to play, Baylor was going to do some damage. And it was just a matter of if Gonzaga could keep up with Baylor. See, see, the crazy thing about it is teams in the Big 12 can keep up with Baylor. They may not win, but we can keep up with them. Just everything about Baylor versus Gonzaga is just like night and day. Them jokers look like grown-ass men out there, muscle-bound, stocked up, fast, athletic. And then Gonzaga just looked like, you know, the, the skinny guys you just kind of pick up and go play ball with. You know what I mean? Just – it was just too – they just came out there and just dominated the boards. I mean, it was just an ass-kicking from, from the minute the game started – to, to when the buzzer sounded, it was just a, a thorough ass whooping the entire game. Though, though Gonzaga did have some runs and it got it down, you know, like I think it's close to nine points at one point. 
when they got it down to nine at the beginning of the second half, I was like, okay, it's about to be a game. And then before you knew it, Baylor just dropped it, pushed it right back up to 16. And when they pushed it back to 16, I was like, yeah, this game is done. They, they're not going to, they, they don't have enough running them to get that down under five points in order to make it more of a, a more of a competitive game from a, from a points uh, scoring standpoint. So I knew Baylor was going to win. Uh, was I confident enough to say, put a ton of money on them? I might've, I might've just because I just, I, I felt that confident. But when they came out there, they was just smoking threes from the outset. I was like, this game is done. And great, great season for Gonzaga, but, is Gonzaga really – will Gonzaga ever win a championship at this point? The only way they can win a championship is if they get those quality of players that Baylor has, but then Power 5 schools will have better quality of those type players by the time Gonzaga gets those players. I doubt they'll ever win a championship. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I – Baylor basically just bullied them. <laughs> I mean, like, it was just, like, it was nothing Gonzaga can do, um, which I, I was rooting for Gonzaga because I wanted them to at least get the championship um, that they needed because, like I said before, this was their perfect opportunity to get a national championship and be submitted as the only undefeated team to go all the way to the NCAA championship and won. Um, I think Indiana um, State was the, the closest to it before they ran into Michigan State with um, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. So I thought that this was going to be something that would have been legendary for them, for that school. Um, but of course, Baylor had other plans and they did what was necessary to not only beat them, but basically just run them out the gym. Um, it was, it, to be honest, it, it felt as though it was never going to get close. And uh, you have to give kudos where kudos is done due to. Baylor did what they needed to do to win that game and not only win it, but win it in convincing fashion. Uh, so I would have to say big ups to them for doing what they were supposed to do and stopping an undefeated team. But it makes me also wonder now going forward, I'm wondering about the future now uh, because Baylor and Gonzaga both are teams that no one really thought of in the beginning of the season. Well, maybe outside of Gonzaga being preseason number one. But the point is that to get to where they are, I don't think that going forward, the only way they could get back to where they are is to continue recruiting, continue getting some of these top players in. Um, they have a pretty good chance of doing it because now they made a name themselves in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but what it also entails is that these powerhouse teams that used to be in there are usually in there, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, all these big name houses, um, powerhouses, are going to do whatever it takes to get back into the hunt. So the yeah, opportunity was squandered. Big ups to Baylor for capitalizing on that opportunity because now they are the champs. So can't knock that from either one of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, it was a it was a coin flip up for me, but you know, I don't think I saw the the, the beat down that Baylor put on them. But I'm, I'm looking at the stats. I mean, the one thing that glared out to me was the three point percentage, forty three percentage for Baylor, twenty nine point four for Gonzaga. Um, what was it? Uh, I think it was uh, about twenty um, ten for twenty three from the three point range for Baylor, 
and five for 17 for Gonzaga. And using you said it, Ace, once they got that lead, they hit it with a barrage of threes early in that first quarter. And it was just like, as soon as they did that and they got that lead, that defense clamped down on them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the rebounds right now, 38 to 22, 16 offensive boards and 22 defensive boards as opposed to five offensive for Gonzaga and 17 defensive for Gonzaga. So when I was watching that game, I mean, those boys, was the D was on them. I mean, it was some, like you said, it was some grown men playing against some boys. Now I get it. Gonzaga's probably the more fundamentally sound squad and when given not too much problems, they can execute with, with you know, perfection because we've seen them execute, you know, flawlessly through the um, through March Madness in the season. But defense, when you some championships, I don't care what kind of offense you got. I mean, we saw what happened in the Super Bowl, you know, Kansas City, the, you know, offense great. But once they, once the heat got on them, totally different story. And those boys, <laughs> all I saw was steal, rip, block pass, you know, change your shot. And they came back, ran it down the court. It was just, it was bad. <laughs> it was filthy. <laughs> Very much so. That was just some filthy. Man, look, when you knew it was going to be something when Baylor missed their first three shots. But Vital, I think the dude's last name, kept getting them offensive rebounds. I was like, oh, this is how we playing today? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and it was a wrap. I think... I think Baylor scored the first nine or 11 points before Gonzaga, or maybe 13 before Gonzaga even got on the board. I think it was like 13 to one at one point. But then they kind of cut it down towards the end of the first half and then got it to nine in the beginning of the second. And then nine was the absolute closest they ever got that day again. They, they got the score. And then it was just, Bella said, now nah, I'm, t- I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes, you know, let's, let's end this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, got it. And I was going to say, it's like they ran him out the court. Who they play? Houston was when they played on Saturday, right? Yeah. Yeah, because that, that Houston game was over by halftime. <laughs> and this one was pretty much the same way. They ran him out the court the same way they ran uh, Houston out the court. Yeah. But I mean, their defense was impeccable. I mean, and the thing about it is, is that what the stuff that they was doing, like they was fighting through screens. They was basically like they was going, they was keeping up with their man, even though they was getting picked. Like that's when you know, when you start fighting off of screens, even the big men are supposed to like set screens to keep you away. When they was fighting off of those picks, it was going to be a bad day because all they, they didn't really have to cover or change man or anything. They, all they did was just go past the picks, run right through them. And then still kept on their man. So when you knew that was going on on a consistent basis, that's when you knew that they was going to be in trouble. Their defense is what really, like, I'm, I was very impressed at their defense. Very impressed. Do you think Suggs getting them two, getting two quick fouls made any much of a difference in the game? Do you think, he, do you think if he was able to play more, the score might have been closer? No. No. Because truth be told, they wasn't even afraid of Suggs. They wasn't afraid of him. Like, whoever was playing D on him, regardless when he was in the game, like, they wasn't afraid of him. Like, he may get his points, but it wasn't going to be because they wasn't going to win the game because of him. That's for sure. Even if he stayed in the game, it would have been a team effort. And Suggs can't carry that team with that against that defense. Right. Not by himself. Because Timmy, Timmy needed to come. Timmy needed to play bigger. And I think he only had, like, 12 points or something like that. 
12, 14 points. Yeah. And uh, Ayayi, I think Ayayi didn't even show up for Gonzaga. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I think he might he might have been a little, you know, pa passive or hesitant, you know, because he don't want to pick up that third quick foul. But still, like you said, I don't think they was even really caring about him. And I mean, Baylor really was the dude off the bench, Flagler, that um that dropped in thirteen. It was like three for four. Mm -hmm. It was like oh, dude really? couldn't miss. Was that the white boy? Flagler. Yeah. Because Baylor got Baylor has a dude that looked like Adam. no, no, Adam Flagler. No, he, he's, he's okay. a brother. Okay, because Baylor had that dude that looked like Adam Morrison that used to play for Gonzaga. <laughs> wild hair, and that, he was hitting, he was knocking down some mid, mid range J's too. Boy, I was like, I'm like, damn, see if West Virginia could ever get some shoes, man. <laughs> Where did this, why does West Virginia even get mentioned into this at this stage? Right, well, look up a damn fan, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like why is West Virginia even mentioned in this? Because it's Big 12. Uh, I mean, I get it, but you know, I'm just saying. Like, well, no, what I'm saying is it, it just really, it just really goes to show when you have a team that's athletic, that can play defense, but also can knock down Jays. They were talking about last year before COVID hit and you know stopped the stopped the tournament that Baylor was a legitimate shot to win a national championship last year, and the majority of their dudes came back this season, and look what happened. They might have won back to back. <laughs> they do have. They did have the opportunity. So yeah, they they could have had that opportunity. So you know, Baylor's just yeah. Whew, boy, I swear that team is just nasty. Nice. Mm -hmm. So let me flip up this question to you guys, being how um, since Baylor won, and I think their starting five is what, all juniors or sophomores? One, one no, of them juniors and seniors, I think it is, for the most part. Um, there was some talk about, you know, now that the landscape of, um, now that the landscape of the, of the NCAA, I think you're kind of seeing it how it is and how it's going to change where you're going to see more depending on whatever the new rules are going to be, more one-and-dones, either A, opting to play in college and go one year and, and do like the dude from Duke that decided halfway through the season, nah, I don't feel like doing this. I'm going to just, you know, you know, practice for um, the NBA or guys to play in the G League overseas. Do you see the complexity where you might going to see more coaches start to recruit more guys that are looking to stay to maybe three years as opposed, I mean, as opposed to getting those one and uh, one and done. If they get them, it's nice. But are you going to see more coaches trying to actively pursue and even through the you know the portal, the transfer portal, more guys that might be more apt to stay two to three years? I can't see it. I mean, the only reason because at the end of the day, colleges is going to look at your record. And they're going to look at what you've done for me. And the coaches need to get the best players that they can to recruit them, whether it's one or done or whether it, they'll stay for three four amount of years. The thing is about them coming to the college, because if you gain talent into the college, it's going to take you places. Um, so the coaches need to worry about – the coaches usually worry about themselves um, as long as they're putting off the best – you know, their record proceeds itself. Um, there's not going to be colleges that's going to dismiss coaches if they have a winning season, even if it's one and done. Um, um, 
I, I have a feeling that it will be college coaches will look more so as to what's best for the school and the record um, than trying to recruit um, three year players um, in the long run. What I found interesting is Jalen Suggs going to Gonzaga and he's being a one and done. That's what I find interesting. I never thought Gonzaga would get to that point. Well, I would never say that Gonzaga, Mark Few has taken Gonzaga and put him into that upper echelon of team where he could start to, to recruit those type of uh, those type of players. I just never thought a one and done type of player would ever go to Gonzaga, but it just goes to show that one and duns don't necessarily want to go to Kentucky or Kansas or North Carolina or Duke as one of those four teams to always go to. You know, James Wiseman went to Memphis because of Anthony, uh, because of Penny Hardaway. Uh, Suggs went to Gonzaga. Um, Hell, what's the cat that played for the Timber, uh, Timberwolves? Um, Anthony Edwards? When is, he did one year, one year Alabama, I think. So I, I, I guess there are coaches out there that just will not recruit one and done type of players. Uh, you know, I, there are coaches out there. I know one, you know, I can't, you guys hate when I mention it, but Bob Huggins refuses to recruit one and done type of players because he doesn't feel that's the type of players that he wants on his, on his team. So there are, there are coaches that fit that mold. Though, if he were to go outside the box, he might win a championship. But, you know, hey, it's whether here or there. But, um, well, he does have a sophomore going this year to the, um, for going to the NBA. Yeah, but he's not a one and done. Sure. <laughs> Man, and, close to it with right, 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 and I personally don't think that he's going to go. You don't think so? No, uh, I think he, I think he's testing his draft grade because you know why not? You know, uh, too many, too many damn shooters in this damn draft to <laughs> sit there and try to. It don't make sense for somebody who's underclassman unless you know your lottery pick sit there and try to go in the draft and not get picked up within the first 20 picks of the first round because ain't nothing guaranteed. You get you 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 decide to opt out and you get you the you the what the 60th pick and there's only two rounds. You're lucky if you make the team. So why sit there and waste and throw away your, your you know your eligibility for college when you could just go ahead and stay around for another year and just think about all those great players that are leaving now. And you could be that next great pair coming out next season, you know, after next year. So I don't know. Uh, I think those players who are good enough to go straight to the league or those who feel as though they want to go to the G League or go overseas or um, are just good enough to go straight to the league, those players will rise to the top. And then coaches will then take the, the next batch and just kind of work it from there. Because I don't think the majority of those one and doneers, they have the opportunity to make fifty thousand for one year. They're just going to make the fifty thousand dollars. Why? Why waste one year of college when you can make fifty G's 
you ain't living like a king, but hell, you got money in your pocket. You're probably still living at home or doing whatever the hell that you're doing. And it's going about your business. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you know, I find it interesting. You know, it's going to be interesting to see going into next year and the year after that. You know, we did see, you know, some of the more known blue bloods like Duke and Kentucky that didn't even make the tournament. I'm not even sure if they made the NIT or if they were in there. You didn't hear much of them, but some of the your more traditional blue bloods have quote unquote fell on hard times. <laughs> so the more teams that have had more success over the last couple of years have been teams that have been able to keep players for a couple more years. So I wonder if next year we're going to see Duke back into the mix, Kentucky back into the mix, Kansas back into the mix. Some of those traditional blue blood squads that are going to get those, you know, college blue chippers back in, in stable and how they fare over the next two or three years, especially depending on what kind of ruling the NBA does. If they're going to say high school, you can go in or they're going to have some kind of NBA part or where they can go through. I'm going to just be kind of curious because this March Madness, everyone was worried about how it's going to be when you don't have, you know, certain teams in there. And this March Madness was more compelling than I've seen in the last couple of years. And I think it got a lot of people that appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah, you're going to miss your those squads in there because everybody loves to root against Duke and seeing Kentucky and blah, blah, blah. But it was refreshing to see the Final Four with people that haven't been traditionally in the Final Four in a very long time or haven't been there, period. So to me, it was more interesting watching the March Madness in the later half because – you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it was definitely much more compelling uh, because there were so many unknowns here uh, where you don't have to worry about the powerhouse teams um, completely dominating the factor. It's much more balanced because you had two teams who are rarely, even though Baylor, you could say Baylor and Gonzaga is probably one of the top teams in men's basketball, but it's rare to have them all the way up to the championship series. Um, so that's really the same you could be said for Houston because nobody really didn't see Houston make it into the final four. So you got to give credit where credit is due. This, um, a lot of people didn't have Houston. They, even though they was ranked number two, a lot of people didn't have Houston in the final four. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew they were talented. I, I I followed them from afar. I mean, I followed college basketball as a whole from afar, actually. You know, just knowing enough about a little bit of everybody to kind of make a, a decision of some sort. But um, I think Houston got hit with the injury bug or just took some bad losses during the season. But then a lot of teams took bad losses during the season outside of Gonzaga and Baylor. <laughs> so... That being said, I hmm, I don't know. Duke is still going to get their players. I'm curious to see how North Carolina is going to roll now with Hubert Davis. I'm really curious to see how they're going to recruit. I mean, granted, it seems as though players who have coached in the NBA and now have a head coaching gig seem to do pretty well. Patrick Ewing is doing well recruiting-wise at Georgetown. It does help that he's part of the lore of Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Ron Howard has that lore of being at Michigan. Hubert Davis, uh, Penny at Memphis, yes. 
The Hubert Davis is not like when you think UNC basketball, Hubert Davis is not even in your top 10. <laughs> you think of UNC basketball. But you got to respect his gangster that he got 13 years in the league. True. So I I, I want to see how that I want to see how that kind of progresses. I want to see if the Syracuses, the St. John's, uh those old school blue blood type of schools, can they come back and be relevant again? Syracuse is making some noise a little bit. St. John's just ain't been the same since Carnegie Second left. And no, when they had Mike Woodson, was it Mike Woodson as coach? Who's one he was a coach? They had, he had, they had a black coach with a ball head at one point. I thought it was Mike Woodson. I believe it was Mike Woodson. Well, I'll double check. Um, but <laughs> Seeing, I, but I have to agree with you. The, the the mid majors and the small major type teams will always have a leg up on the bigger score, the bigger schools, just because their talent sticks around for three or four years, and they just got to be lucky for a six game streak, you know, to kind of make it to the final four. A la like uh, VCU did that one year, um, and also like Loyola Chicago made it to the final four that one, you know, you just got to be lucky, lucky enough to kind of make it. But I, I I do see parody coming. I don't think that the blue bloods will still be the blue bloods, especially now with the NBA opening up the G league for those coming right out of high school. If they're good enough to go there, they, they'll just opt to go there. Why waste a year of school when you can get paid? That's unless the parents is just so hell bent on saying you need that one year of college. Because baseball players, if you're good enough, you're going straight to the minors. You're saying the hell with damn college <laughs> college baseball. You're going straight to the minors to get paid. So I see the same with basketball. So yeah, I you're going to make a whole lick in the minors, but hell. <laughs> and you might be in the minors for a, a while, but hell. If you're good enough, you'll get to the majors. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Like right now, um, with the projected um, NBA draft, coming up for the summer um out of the top 20 players half of them are on our freshmen um that are projected to go in the top 20 and two of them are in the g and that's in the top five so i uh, to be honest and like you said they're all not from powerhouse schools like kate cunningham is from oklahoma state you got Suggs from gonzaga you got other people from usc um duke florida state Mm -hmm. So this well is basic. It's more balanced than people realize, and I think that now, in in hindsight, thinking about everything that just happened, I think that the NCAA men's basketball is going to be more balanced than a lot of people realize. It's going to take time for the powerhouse teams to get back into the fold of things, but by that time, there's going to be so many other players playing for so many mid college, mid major colleges, or the colleges that are usually not known to have a, a, a good basketball program, they're gonna have they're gonna have their their teams are gonna be improved as well. So it's gonna be much more balanced, which again makes the NCAA tournament so fun to watch because on any given Sunday, a team could lose to one of the mid-major conferences and there'll be a lot of upsets as well. So it's it's one of the things that men's the men's basketball, um, the NCAA men's basketball is so What's the word? Um, intriguing because of things like that in the tournament time. 
That's why nobody really watches it until the tournament time. Nobody really, you know, root for teams until the tournament time because you never know. When brackets get busted, that's it. <laughs> and we all know people's brackets got busted this year more earlier than what it usually is. <laughs> Not to, I know we want to switch on, but just switching over to women's really quick. Um, big up to Stanford for winning, winning the national championship. Um, the Pac-12, it was a Pac-12 championship game. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, but big up to Stanford. I was I was listening to something on the radio where NCAA president Mark Eminen, I think is his name, they said they'd be very hard pressed to uh, to believe that he should lose his he should lose his job because of the disparities between the men's uh, March Madness versus the women's March Madness. Talking about March Madness, it was only labeled towards the men, and it didn't get labeled towards the women, even though they had the same format. The the way that the men's host site was set up with the, the weight room versus the women's site, the way it was set up. Um, just saying, though, know, there's a lot of disparities between the two. And, you know, this is the Me Too movement, and they're saying that it wouldn't shock them if, if he were to lose his job over this, this because of the glaring gaps of the advantages towards men versus women. And I can't say that I'm mad about the situation because women's March Madness is just as insane and crazy as men's March Madness. It's just a different style of basketball that you have to appreciate. And um, I'm just curious to see how next year's final uh, March Madness for women is going to be held. Because I think it's going to get the same amount of exposure. I think they're going to get the same type of leeway, not leeway, but the same type of arrangements that the men have that they're going to have for the females as well. And the fact that, you know, I didn't know about the whole, they had to stay at the school for three years before they could transfer out. I think that's going to change for them too, because I think that'll end up changing the landscape of women's college basketball moving forward. I know we talked about that last week. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, like, truth be told, until Right, yeah, I guess that will help if they change the landscape of the, um, if they do one and done in women's basketball, that will probably help um, the dynamic of it because truth be told, like the powerhouses stay powerful for a reason in the women's basketball. And until they balance that out, it's always going to be an issue. The Elite Eight, for example, the only game that was really close and interesting to watch was Baylor against Connecticut, um, which Connecticut won by two points. All the other Elite Eights were won by double digits, especially the South Carolina-Texas game where they won roughly by 30 points. So the competition really never got started until the actual Final Four, which in terms is the reasoning behind their – I get that with the parity between like the weights and that issue there, yeah, that's definitely going to be something to be looked at. But as far as the game itself is concerned, until they balance out the actual teams where not too many powerhouses is stuck on one team like Connecticut or Baylor or Stanford, um, until that happens, 
the NCAA women's basketball is not going to have the same intrigue as the men's. The men's is much more balanced, bottom line. So they, you'll definitely see some, at any given, given Sunday, you'll definitely see an upset of some of the top powerhouses in the league against some of the mid-majors. It's going to be difficult for me to even tell me that Texas, uh, Texas women's basketball was going to be Connecticut or South Carolina. Um, it wasn't even a matchup. Like within the first five minutes, you could tell whether or not if it's going to be a close game or it's going to be a blowout. And that's really the biggest issue about the lack of balance because everybody wants to go to these big powerhouse teams. Like you said before, Ace, like if they bring back teams that were there before, like a Tennessee or, um, you know, like where it comes to be more balanced, I, I just need to see more balance because it's not intriguing for me to watch a team getting blown out by 30 points. It's not intriguing. And people will turn it off after they see it. They're up 20 to two within the first two or three minutes of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? Mark Emirates is a whole nother discussion. I'm not going to get on that. Um, he, he should be fired, not specifically for what happened, because he's got a lot of ish going on, in my opinion, that he that was more fireable offenses than what went on with this um with this March Madness, um, I do agree um, that it's difficult for the women because, like you said, Al, the Elite Eight is usually the Elite Eight always. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw a couple of the scores from the March Madness in the women bracket, it was several blowouts, bad blowouts. Um, however, you look at the McDonald's All-American High School well, it wasn't really a game. It was more of a showcase and talking about who was going where. In the men's, it was much more spread out. Guys going certain places. Women, the Elite Eight got darn near all the all the McDonald's All-American with UConn grabbing three out of the, you know, I think three or four people going there. So it's like, you know, the rich keep getting richer. And it's, just, it's like Alabama football. It was like they get everybody. They just reload. And Connecticut reload. So it's not that compelling, but until you get someone that can actually make, you can't do anything about where the people go. You can't make them go to these schools. They're going to go where they want to go. However, until they can find a way to make the girls game more compelling, if you're going to talk about March Madness, then you need to talk about March Madness and be more inclusive where you're doing commercials and you're talking about it, but show men and women. When you're doing the opening round of the games, why not have men and women on the same night instead of having the men doing Thursday, Friday? So, oh, that's right. The women start Sunday. Who's checking on Sunday when you don't watch, you know, watching the first round? They should make the women's and the men start at the same exact time. And guess what? Put them on TV at the same exact time. If you're going to have games running on CBS, have some women's running on TNT or TBS. Don't have the men monopolize all the major networks then you stick the women off with ESPN2 or whatever they're going to be at. And then, like I saw this year, you had them on Sundays, late Sundays. But by that time, everyone had been through their first weekend. So it's, it is, I agree, it's not that compelling until you get to the lead eight, but you can find a way of making it more marketable where you can promote them at the same time under the same umbrella and run the games on the same night. If you're going to start March Madness, 
Let's start March Madness with men and women on the same night. Let it do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and have them on both the networks. Try it. I, I think I, if I had to guess, I guess they're, you know, they don't want to compete, compete against dollars, you know, uh, TV dollars. Uh, not to say that, because it makes sense. Like, if you're going to put men's on CBS, TNT, True, and uh, I forget the last station that they had them on. TBS. TBS, yeah, TBS, TNT, True, and CBS, then if ESPN runs the shit, then ESPN could have them on ESPN, ABC, uh, USA, and some other network to, to, to counterbalance. But I guess they ESPN's biggest fear is that, you know, if you got 100 eyeballs sitting there watching uh, UNC Asheville versus uh, Duke <laughs> in the first round versus you got uh, UConn women versus Wyoming, and you know UConn is about to blow Wyoming out, nobody's going to sit there and tune into that. So I guess they're just afraid that if they put that on primetime or they put that somewhere, there ain't going to be no eyeballs. You can cherry-pick the games the same way they cherry-pick the games that they decide to put on TV because out of that, you know, the first round, they ain't putting every game on TV. They're cherry-picking what they want on CBS. So, you know, so you can do it, but I agree. It's probably a money thing, and they don't want to go that route because then you're going to have to say, specifically, we make more money with guys watching and women watching men's basketball than we do having people watch women's college basketball. But what you could also do is you don't have to put, like, UConn versus Wyoming. You could put an 8-9 and nine team and match it off that way and then see how it goes. It would be much more even that way. So they could put a couple of 9-8 and eight teams in the beginning of the first round um, for the win women's tournament um, to see how that progressed going forward. It may not be, like, the top tier or the top stars playing for the women's basketball, but it'll be enough where it may catch interest where it may be a closer game than being blown out by 30 or 40 points. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. I will say this for March Madness, being how they were shortcut last year because of COVID. They came back this year, and it was a very compelling uh a very compelling uh, tournament. So hopefully we'll see the same stuff next year. But as always, uh, we have to transition over to a little bit of NFL football right after this.